When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to the Maze and Brew Preview and Projection Show. And this is our 14th and final preview and projection for Maze and Brew Podcast on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am Luke Giardi, joined by Anthony Broom. It has been an absolute pleasure uh, to bring you the first 13 episodes of this. And we had to save the, uh, the, the best for last year uh, on, our, on our preview and projections as we look at every single team in the Big Ten, live on the Mason Brew YouTube and Twitch channels here tonight. Good to have you all aboard. Great to see some comments already rolling in. Anthony, what's going on, man? Not good. Uh, well, not good. I said not bad. It's good to be here is what I meant to say. I'm a little too excited, a little too amped up for this. This is the first time that we have done a a live stream. We are you. A lot of you guys will hear this after the fact, but for those of you who are live on YouTube and Periscope, welcome. We'll try to make this one a little more interactive than what the other episodes have been. And we'll go a little bit longer than those other episodes have been because this is really next week is game week. So this is really the last of our our offseason uh, podcast previews, projections, whatever you want to call them. So this is going to be the big Michigan preview. So we're going to go through game by game. We're going to do the Vegas over under thing. We're going to look at what's there, what's on the roster. Uh, the state of the Harbaugh era so far. Like, we're going to hit on all that. So uh, it'll be a little bit longer episode. But, hey, analytically speaking, that's not the worst thing in the world for you guys that are watching on video. So uh, that's well, my real, real quick before we uh, get into Michigan here. We, uh, we do have Big Ten football this Saturday. Illinois taking on um, Nebraska. So you might want to go check out those preview and projections episodes before Saturday. Yeah, and I I told Luke this over the weekend. Uh, it's funny how we went through the analytics, and the only way I can explain this is because it was of the angry fan base got a hold of it. Our Nebraska preview is the one that's done the best so far. Oh, not God. by did, wide did, margin, did, but did we get any? Did we get some comments on it? I tried. Uh, don't to. care. Don't yeah, care. no, I I don't care <laughs> either. But I'm glad the angry fans got a hold of it. But they've all been pretty good, and they've done pretty well. So thank you to you guys who have supported those and. Like I said, uh, this is we told you throughout that we were saving the best for last. Best question mark? You know, and, and let's hope so. Um, so the, well, we can just kind of get right into it. Yeah. Um, uh, last year, that you know, as we start off everything, we kind of look at uh, the previous year and previous five years. Last year, obviously, was not great to be a Michigan football fan. Uh, two and four after a strong start. Uh, going on the road to Minnesota, beating a top 25 Gophers team and beating them handily. And we got the uh, we got the quotes that we that we like to get. This team is different. You know, this team just feels different. Our guys aren't going to hang their heads when, when things go sour. And well, that turned out not to be the case last year. And obviously <laughs> a lot of a lot of factors that uh, were at play uh, last year, obviously not having guys like Nico Collins and Ambry Thomas really did not. Uh, do wonders uh, in an inexperienced offensive line, inexperienced quarterback play. It was like, 
I, I don't know. It, it just seemed to be a perfect storm of bad things to happen. Is it a sign of things to come or was it a one year sort of blip in the radar that we can kind of blame on COVID? Uh, that remains to be seen. But we do know that the last five years they've been above average 39 and 19. Overall, in the last five years, you'd like it to be better. But, hey, as you go listen to the Nebraska episode, could be a whole heck of a lot worse. Yeah, last year, let's just call a spade a spade. It was a shit show across the board, uh, top to bottom. Defense was bad. Quarterback play was bad. Offensive line play was everything. Nothing worked. Coaching was bad. Play calling was bad. It was all a nightmare, right? So the fact that we are here now, And we're hearing all the kind of similar things to what we heard last year. The the culture is different. You know, we just had the best off season. We had the best installs of our life. Those are the kind of narratives that you hear this time of year. But by all accounts, I mean, it has been a productive off season. I think that Michigan has changed a lot and we'll, we'll talk about what some of those changes are and what they have been. And, um, you know, what kind of dive a little deeper on that, but, I think I think things are a little more stable right now than some people may be led to believe, uh, but it's still not. We'll get to it with the the projections and the game by game stuff later on. I, it might not be enough, but we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, and we know like, look, throughout the course of Jim Harbaugh's tenure, obviously you would certainly like to beat Ohio State. You'd love a better record against Michigan State. And, uh, you know, uh, the ball record speaks for itself, but 49 and 22, you know, uh, look, Michigan, you deserve better. If you're a fan and you expect more than that, I totally understand. Uh, but it is, it, it has gotten better, uh, than it was obviously under the, uh, Brady Hoke and Rich Rod eras, but it still needs to continue to trend upward. You know, I think that's what everyone's looking for. That's why I think last year pissed so many people off is, is 2019, you know, the expectations coming in, not living up to those coupled with just a, a horrendous year in 2020. It, it's real easy. It's, it's a real, what have you done for me lately type business. And I think last year kind of highlighted that the most. Yeah. Well, it was a, it really, what's been a, They've been trying to find themselves since that 2018 Ohio State game it right. is what it is. Because, it, you know, for a while it was, well, maybe 2016 Ohio State tumbled them off the path they were on. And then they struggled in 2017. And 2018, you lose to Notre Dame to start the year. But then you get you get it back, revenge tour, 10 wins in a row. You go into Ohio State, uh, into Columbus is the favorite. And things went historically and irreparably to question mark, uh, bad. And they've been trying to figure it out since then. You know, 2019 was, should have been a team that competed for a big 10 title. They were out of the race before Halloween Mm. 2020. I get that COVID happened, but operationally it was, it not only was it bad, it was, it was putrid. And there was all the, the chest thumping about, we're going to be the team that leads the way and, and sets the the bar for how COVID teams or teams handle COVID. And then again, this isn't their fault, but a COVID outbreak kind of takes away your last two or three games of the year. So everything top to bottom after that first week at Minnesota, just kind of it tumbled out of control and it, nece- it necessitated change. I was of the opinion. I, I think that we were all pretty, we were pretty upfront with the expect or the, not expectation, that's not the right word, but 
we we think we saw enough of the Jim Harbaugh era, but he's back. That's over. That's done with. He signed the extension and he changed just about everything. Uh, yes. Obviously overhauled the defense offensively operationally changed a few things here and there, but not a ton has changed there. Maybe just stability is what's best for them. But even behind the scenes, recruiting department overhauled changed. Um, you know, some of the support staff like the, um, you know, the Sydney Sims hires, the the Christina DeRyder hires, those people behind the scenes, analysts, things like that. Like they've, there was not really a stone that was left unturned. And, um, you know, I think when you've looked at Jim Harbaugh speak so far that he just personally, physically, he looks healthier, but there's more of a yeah. pep in his step. And really just, I think everyone was just so, it was one of those burn the tape seasons. You know, you, you just kind of have to go back to square one, start from scratch and, figure out what your identity is. And the fact that they've had a full spring, they had full spring football to this point, they've had a full and, and seemingly productive fall camp. So maybe a return to normalcy. We'll, we'll, we'll determine here what a return to normalcy looks like for this program. But at least this year, when we're looking at state of the program, they have to win football games. Don't get me wrong, but it yeah. does feel like things are a little more stable and maybe there's not like they're putting pressure on themselves to win, but I don't know it just feels like a lot of the changes they made were changes. You see what happens two years down the road instead of, you know, we look at December, where are things at? So, well, we have to, you know, go back to 2008 to kind of talk about the state of the coaching staff here, because, you know, that 2018 Ohio state game that set things in motion, it set kind of a domino effect for the program to where they got rid of the offense that they were running for, you know, the first four seasons under Jim Harbaugh. They bring in Josh Gaddis, speed and space, coming over from Alabama. And to this point, I mean, is it's kind of generous to say it's been a mixed bag of results. You know, he's averaging about 30 points per game as the offensive coordinator and play caller in his two seasons, 31, about 31 points a game in 2019, down to 28 a year ago. But their yards per play actually improved last year compared to 2019. But the offense hasn't seemed to really be that big of an improvement over it's a different style, but the, the results haven't really been a huge improvement over what was here when, when Harbaugh uh, was kind of running the offense. Well, it took them half a season to get going in 2019. And this is, I guess where maybe we start the Josh Gaddis conversation took them half the year to get going in 2019. And, Really, uh, a little bit too late. They start get they start to get going in the second half of that Penn State game after falling down whatever it was a couple scores, which was kind of right. been their mo. And when you fast forward to twenty twenty, like the defense was bad, and schematically there were flaws, and then the talent that was on that defense um, was not good enough either. So I'm not making excuses for them when I say what I'm about, what I'm what I am about to say. When you come out and you go three and out, three and out interception the first three drives of your game on offense, your defense is already not good enough. And you're just putting them in a hole that compound, that compounds everything. Now, talent wise, was this one of, you know, a lower third defense in all of college football last year? Talent wise, I don't think so. But I think what compounded a lot of the issues that they had is that this offense hasn't been able to move the ball. And I know the easiest thing people say is, oh, well, Michigan hasn't had a star quarterback yet. Last year, the offensive line, the starting offensive line, at least in the lead up to the season, barely played together. They were splitting the squads so that if someone on that unit 
got COVID, it wouldn't wipe out the entirety of the offensive line. So a lot of times, at least early on in the year, it may have changed as the year went on. But a lot of times when they would suit up and go out there, like those guys on Saturday, the, that would be the first time they've played with each other all week. And then injuries happened, and there were there was inconsistent play. Um, the quarterback play was not good enough. Uh, there were injured. Yeah, there was injuries there, but I don't think that Joe Milton was playing that well before he got hurt. Outside of the Minnesota game, offense or the wide receivers, those guys. A lot of those play designs, you watch the film, you look at the end of the play, you have three guys standing right next to each other. So I don't know if the play designs, the play calling is, is what it needs to be either, or what it, you know, last year what it needed to be. And then the one of the famous Michigan Twitter bits is the running backs and and not sticking with the hot hand. You know, Hassan Haskins rushing for 60 yards on a drive and not seeing the field for another quarter and a half, like that type of stuff. That's where I say, operationally speaking, it was all a disaster last year. Yeah, there was. There's not a whole lot of silver linings from last year. You know, like I, I like the burn the tape reference uh, out of that. <laughs> As you mentioned, 66th in scoring a year ago, 78th in total offense. There was too much talent, and I understand the offensive line play uh, is certainly a big problem. But it's not like. It's not like they were rolling with walk-ons at quarterback, you know? So there, there, there's an argument to be made there. Like, what are you doing as a coaching staff to develop and get these guys ready for game days and to to put them in a position to succeed? Because it's it's been very hit or miss over the years, and it's not like they have scrubbed talent at quarterback. I mean, eventually it needs to click. Sound like that might be happening here this year? Everyone seems to be really high on Cade McNamara. Yeah, I I think that I don't know if Cade McNamara has been, you know, we haven't heard this stuff like, oh, well, he's a combination of Baker Mayfield and Pat Mahomes. And we, we haven't done the Heisman edits and, yet. And and uh, Lamar Jackson and all you squeeze it all into one quarterback. And that's that's what they have. We haven't heard that. I think that the leadership and the way he's taken control has been strong and something that mm-hmm. uh, he, he hasn't seeded the job at all. Since spring football, there it was weird. A couple of weeks ago, I saw it wasn't even that long ago, maybe a week or so ago. I saw, and this isn't taking shots at anyone else, but I saw articles about oh, Michigan named starting quarterback or Cade McNamara leads in starting quarterback battle. It's like, where have you been? been like, that way that, since <laughs> the spring. That's it's been that way since uh, you know the second half of the the Rutgers game last year. So, um, I think what he gives you is pretty much what you saw during the Rutgers game. Is it's mm. steady. It's and this sh- we shouldn't be as impressed as we are by making the appropriate read, just making the appropriate throw. But that's what he does well. Uh, he's poised. I-, I don't know if he's got this rocket arm. I don't know if you're going to see a ton of the deep ball. Again, this is going to be kind of a West Coast passing attack. They're, they're, you look at what's on this roster. Like they're going if the offensive line holds up, they are going to run the football because they should. That's the running backs are their best position group. Spoiler alert. And, you know, Cade McNamara, I think he's just – I think he can give you kind of that steady type of Jake Rudock, Wilton Spate type of play. The stuff where if everything else is complimentary, complimentary around him, you could win nine to ten games. But I don't know if they're quite good enough to maybe reach that high of a level. But you know, Cade McNamara, I think my prediction for him is that, if anything, he's going to come in and be efficient, if maybe unspectacular, as opposed to – you know, the floor and the wheels completely falling off like maybe it did for a guy like Milton or at times, I say at times with Shea Patterson. 
Um, and then obviously John O'Corn being what he was before that. So I think that you're going to get some good steady quarterback play, but I don't think that it's going to be something that's, you know, we're talking even at the end of September, we, we love to do We love to do the September Heisman thing. I don't think we're going to be hyping Cade McNamara up as the September Heisman this year, but I think he'll be, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be okay. I mean, completed just over 60% passes a year ago, five touchdown interceptions. You can absolutely live with that over the course of the season. Those numbers hold up. Like you said, takes care of the football, makes the right reads. You know, he might not be the superstar, though that also remains to be seen, right? Like, I guess we can't write that off. He's still a four-star talent, uh, and now he's got a little more chemistry with a lot of these guys coming back that we'll get into here uh, in the show, but maybe with a more experienced offensive line, so you know, receivers that are a little more comfortable in the system. Yeah, you, you never know what kind of numbers he, he could uh, put up here. But on the flip side of the football, uh, you know, sticking with the state of the coaching staff here, obviously Don Brown no longer here, had been the defensive coordinator since 2016. Uh, you know, the thing kind of ran its course on that front. They bring in Mike McDonald coming over from the Ravens. John Harbaugh pretty much told his brother that he was on track to be the next defensive coordinator, it sounds like, in Baltimore, but uh, wanted to give him a shot because he still loves Michigan football, does John Harbaugh. Apparently, that's that's the story that's out there. <laughs> That's the uh, spin, right? That's the spin. So, Mike McDonald, we we just don't know much. It sounds like it's going to be maybe kind of a 3-4 base sort of thing. Some standing guys like Aiden Hutchinson going to be playing kind of that T.J. Watt sort of role. Um, I'm very interested to see this defense because, look, man, we're going to get into the players. I think there's a lot of talent on this side of the football. Yeah, the defense, again, it doesn't lack talent. I think – it's all, they're all, I mean, there's a question mark next to a lot of these guys. Like, yeah, you could have, you know, I mean, you can have two five stars out there, right? Chris Hinton and Dax Hill. I mean, yeah, two five star guys, but just let's just go like level by level. Defensive line, Donovan Jeter, that's a bit of guy who's had the quote unquote best off season, best off season of his career for what seems like three off seasons in a row at least. That's a guy they're going to count on. And the defensive line is pretty cut and dry. Like, it's going to be, Donovan Jeter, Mozzie Smith, Chris Hinton, because there's not really a ton of depth behind them, uh, right. which is kind of scary if you know, they're going to lose. All very, all very regarded, though, like coming out of high school. Very regarded. But haven't, like, Donovan Jeter, I think I kind of know what he is. He's He'll mm-hmm. he'll play well, and then he'll kind of disappear. Mozzie Smith and Chris Hinton, those are the two guys who are like, it's year three for you. You were both well-regarded recruits. Chris Hinton was a five-star. You guys kind of have to pop this year. One of you mm-hmm. has to pop. Uh, and then, you know, if they do, maybe one of them goes, if they both pop, maybe they both go to the NFL. But um, so I think that like that's there's a lot of volatility there because they could be unspectacular. And then that's not a strength or all three of those guys, the 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 light could come on. And all of a sudden you're you've got as good a three man front as anyone in the conference. So, right. That's the position group I probably have the most question marks about. Um, you know, if you move to the outside linebackers. Aiden Hutchinson, David Ojabo, Taylor Upshaw, those are kind of going to be the three guys that they're either going to rush the passer standing up or in certain – because they want to be multiple in their fronts. It's not all going to be 3-4. But you'll see them you know, come up and put their hand in the dirt. You switch to an an even man front. So I think those guys can kind of do all of that. I like that grouping. I think Aiden Hutchinson's a guy who could very easily be Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, yeah. Inside linebacker is where I have a few more questions there, but one of them seems to be sort of answered. We we go into camp like Josh Ross. I think he's going to be a captain. He's going to start yeah. at inside linebacker. Um, 
and, and it was kind of assumed that Mike Barrett would move from Viper into that inside spot next to him. But seems like Nikai Hill Green, who's a younger guy, I believe he's a sophomore, uh, definitely an underclassman guy, has kind of come on and it seems like he's taken control of that second inside linebacker job. So hopefully that's because he's having a good camp and not because Mike Barrett hasn't played well, but right. I think Mike Barrett's a good football player too. And you throw junior Colson in that mix, all of a sudden you got a couple of young, you got some, there's a nice little mixture of veterans and, and young guys that might kind of have a future. But again, it's similar to the defensive line in that it could go either way. Those guys could be great or it could just be unspectacular. And that's a, a group you have questions about. Yeah, you got to hope, like, just for depth purposes, a guy like Junior Colson can come in right away, kind of make an impact like like Devin Bush. And I know even someone like Cam McGrone, obviously, w- when he kind of broke out, he was a redshirt freshman. You know, being a true freshman is a little bit different in, in Junior's case. But, I, I mean, you, you're going to have to have depth at that position, especially when you got multiple guys out there playing that position. But I, I feel like they've always, you know, had good enough linebackers, obviously, Devin Bush was maybe the best in the country at the position. So I, I hope, you know, I, I try not to kind of grade it based on that, knowing like kind of what an anomaly Devin Bush was. But I mean, who knows what, what kind of guy Junior Colson could be right could be uh, right away. And then you move on to the secondary. It was bad <laughs> last year. <laughs> it was bad last year. It was bad. But, you know, uh, uh, Jamon Green, Vincent Gray, they started to – I feel like they started to play a little bit better down the, the second half of last it year. It was all relative. Like, they improved. Right. Yeah, he's right. Fair everyone enough. else yeah. was so right. bad that it was yeah. – <laughs> yeah, I, I look at this, this – the defense and cornerback by far to me is kind of, uh, I think, my biggest concern. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, not as much worried about I, – I think Jamon Green could be, like, a good number two. But yeah. – Vincent Gray's in a battle with DJ Turner. I mean, I don't know. I, I think it, to me, it kind of seems like maybe Turner is might have a leg up in that job. But you know, you've got guys on that depth chart like Darian Green, Warren, Andre Selden, young guys from last year that didn't play. You know, freshman to sophomore year uh, in a position group that needs bodies. I need I need to see something from those guys this year, and they have a right. chance to play. So safety again. Daxton Hill, it seems like they stopped the bleeding on the back end last year when they switched him over to uh, – he would play cornerback at times. I, I think they're going to kind of use him in a similar way as a chess piece, um, You know, playing the free safety role, probably sliding in and playing some nickel. Um, I think that guy wants to go to the NFL after this year. So I mean, yeah, I think that was always the plan probably for a guy like right. that. Yeah, and, and Mike McDonald is a guy similar to – you know. He's got these guys like Aiden Hutchinson and Daxton Hill. I think he's like pretty – I think he knows what he has there, and he'll use those guys as chess pieces. So that safety duo of Hill and Brad Hawkins, I don't hate that. And I actually – Right. I think that Macar- someone like Makari Page could come in and be a pretty good player in time as well. It takes It takes time for defensive backs too. But, and like you said, if if he's able to, if Makari Page is able to come in and play safety, if you absolutely need to, kind of like they did last year, let Dax play a little corner as well. Yeah, absolutely. It gives you gives you a little bit more um, versatility there. But you know, we we talk about the defense as a whole, and it's what I like about McDonald. And we're not gonna, we don't know a damn thing about him, right? Nothing. Like, very it's, easily. It's, it's really hard. He's never called plays before. No, I mean, this could very easily be. You know the Doug Nussmeyer, but like on the defensive side of the ball. Except you know Nussmeyer had a where where it's like a 
last stand, you make this new hire to turn around an ailing part of your football. Doug Nussmeyer got to got the job because he, you know, was the offensive coordinator for the best offensive line by a mile in the country. Yeah, so that's not a good comparison. So just <laughs> pretend we didn't hear that. But it's it's kind of a is it too like I said, I, I think a lot of what has been Jim Harbaugh's issue with I don't I think it's kind of played up a little more than it needs to be that he doesn't get with the times and that the game has passed him by. He's made a lot of changes to the program. The problem is a lot of times it happens one year too late. Michigan should have changed offenses when they brought in Shea Patterson. And then maybe he right. struggled yep. in 2018 and then you explode that next season. Um you can make the argument that Don Brown. But even should. even so, that 2018 squad, that was really that defense that, you know, the, yeah. the revenge tour was was mostly defense. Even if that, that offense struggles with him in, in a transition year, I still think they do very good. And maybe the game goes a little sure. bit different. But you get what I'm going for, right? Like it's for sure. 100%. Too, yeah, it's a year. It's It always does seem to be a year too late. You, you wait know? a year too long to replace Pep Hamilton. You wait what I think is probably a year too long. If last year, like no one knew what last year was going to be, but if last year was going to wind up being a rebuilding year for the defense, again, you should have changed defenses last year. And then you have a leg up. Like I, I realize that's easy to say in hindsight, but there, there have been more than a few times where, I mean, the Tim Drevno thing was probably another example where um, just it was a little kind of too little too late for all that. So yeah. we'll see. Um we kind of skipped over we skipped over the running backs and the wide receivers. So maybe yeah, we we're, I was gonna I was gonna back. make my way back to the offense at a at a certain point. That was the state of the coaching staff ended up going into the state of the entire defense because <laughs> we don't really know enough about Mike McDonald. Uh, real I mean, that, quick, that's the storyline too is that we don't know anything about this coaching staff. Right, like, Sean Nua, good guy, and, and he's loved by the players, but the development on the defensive line has been lacking. I think even they would tell you that. But I know nothing about George Hilo. I know Steve Klinkscale, I think, was wound up being um, a good hire for them it, in a roundabout way. They tried to get him the first time around. They get Maurice Linguist. Linguist takes the Buffalo job, and they get Klinkscale anyways. That's the one guy where I think that I'm pretty confident on how that will go. But yeah. Ron Bellamy has been a high school coach for the last 11 years. He's coaching safeties. Mike McDonald, I mean, you can throw some cachet into what John Harbaugh says about, you know, this is going to be a guy who eventually takes over for Wink Martindale. But other than that, we know nothing about that coaching staff. I, I think I we mean, know a you, little bit more on the offensive side. Yeah, you brought up the running backs, man, and I'm excited to see how it plays out with Mike Hart. You know, I think this was uh, this has been a long time coming to bring it back in the building, and I'll tell you what, he's got a heck of a running back room to work with to kick it off. I think. Yeah, and you know, we talked kind of hit on this a little bit earlier, but the the running back situation and the feel for, because I don't think people realize this. I think when you see who goes on the field, they're like, Oh, well that's Harbaugh throwing this guy on the field. That's Josh Gaddis throwing him out there. Position coaches are the guys that grab you by the face mask and throw you onto the field. So am I going to sit here and say that Jay Harbaugh was in over his head? No, because that might be mean, but I think they upgraded at running backs coach. Yes. I think even they would tell you that. So um, obviously like he was, he was Tom Allen's associate head coach at, at Indiana. Right. Like there, there's, there's a bright future for Mike Hart and, and he's, it's not just a Michigan man thing either. He's qualified. He has a track record and, and he's got, I, I know down the road at Ohio state, they're always going to be more loaded, but aside from Ohio state, who has a more loaded running back room in the big 10 than Hassan Haskins, 
then Blake Corum, then a fringe five-star guy in Donovan Edwards, even Tavier Dunlap, I think you're going to see get some run this year. So I think I think there's an argument to be made. Michigan could have the best running back room in the Big Ten, uh, to be yeah. honest with you, because, you know, Ohio State, it sounds like, obviously Master Teague is coming back, and they're really high on that freshman they got there. I'm blanking on his name right now. But um, other than that, man, I mean, Hassan Haskins has been outstanding. I is it, he been under the radar fantastic the last couple of years? Like, I feel like he doesn't get a lot of love. Yeah, kind of, because he runs for 50 yards on a drive, and then you don't see him until the second <laughs> yeah. half. I mean, he <laughs> averaged six yards a carry and had six touchdowns last year. Yeah, no, he's he's good. Uh, he's He is he is ad, as advertised. And is he a guy that's going to catch the ball out of the backfield? Is he a guy that's going to you know, bust a 50-yard run? No, but you know what? I think he's going to put his shoulder down and get you some tough yards and, and be yeah. kind of – that running back, like the, the running back that Michigan fans always kind of yearn for, the guy who can get you four yards, who can get you a tough yard when you need it. And then you throw the other guys in there with Blake Corum, who I believe this was Steven Ostentoski who said this, but if he was an inch or two taller, that guy's probably a five star. The, the skill. Right. I mean, he's look he's walking. Oh, did you camp- see how much I was just gonna say, have you seen him, man? The that picture of him? Oh my god. How do you tackle yeah. that? How do you how do you tackle a guy that with legs that look like that? I don't know. He's literally walking around campus looking like the thing from the Fantastic Four, which is <laughs> hey, that's great to see. Um, but then Donovan Edwards, someone who like I think it's going to kind of be Haskins and Corum are like one A and one B, and that's where you find the hot hand thing. And then Donovan Edwards comes in, and he's your your third down back. And the the best thing about him is that he's kind I of really a hard- hope- He's a hybrid. I hope he gets the guys. return. Like I hope, I hope he gets put on kick and punt returns quite a bit because I think he could be electric there too. Well, potentially, but I think he's kind of the best of both worlds, where he's got the power and the physique. Like if you watched him play at West right. Bloomfield, he looked like a college ready back as a you know as a sophomore in high school. So that state championship really, game didn't even look fair, man. No, um, so he brings you that the power. He brings you the speed. He brings you the pass catching ability. And who knows? Like, there's a scenario in play where he could pop and wind up being the guy. But I, I, I there's solace in knowing that I think that the guy at the helm of the position group will get it right in terms of who needs to be out there, who needs to be. I think the days of the bell cow back in college football are kind of I don't say passed us by, but those guys are kind of unicorns now. Um, even the star guys at Alabama, like Najee Harris, was still sharing carries with other guys at Alabama. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and that's not to say Michigan has that type of room, but there's enough to go around. And I think they have a position coach that will put them in positions to succeed there. I, I apologize. I saw Shane Costigan's uh, YouTube comment here. Corum ate Charbonnet and absorbed his powers. <laughs> yeah, he's like Kirby from, uh, from the Nintendo games. So. That is, yeah, man. I don't know what that whole situation was last year with Zach Charbonnet, or that was uh, the, the weirdest, one of the biggest mysteries, I feel like, that we'll have forever as Michigan football fans is what in the world went on with Zach Charbonnet in 2020. I don't know if we'll ever know. And now, no. now you've got you know a guy like Chris Evans comes back last year too and doesn't do much. But then the Cincinnati Bengals take him, and I think what the fifth or sixth round, and he might be the number two running back to Joe Mixon now. So, um, yeah, yeah. why? I receivers? mean, this is another one where it's like we we know who probably the top three guys are, and then it's 
then it's a bunch of guys who got a lot of talent. And, you know, where do you fit them? Obviously, top two, Ronnie Bell, Cornelius Johnson. Uh, these guys are going to be – should be pretty good. Ronnie Bell, I don't uh, as the number one last year, obviously didn't quite produce up to expectations uh, like what we thought. We'll see if this year is a little bit different uh, knowing that and hopefully him having an ability to adjust. But uh, he did average about 51, 15.1 yards per catch, and he, he did score a touchdown. Cornelius Johnson came on strong. He had three touchdowns on the year. So uh, those guys uh, coming back, obviously very talented. Um also, I, I, I'm very, very curious about how they're going to use a guy like Dalen Baldwin coming in. You know, how much is he going to get? He's big. He's fast. He put up huge numbers. Um, I mean, he, he's a guy who I feel like could make a push, too. Yeah, this is – and I don't know that we know who their best three are. Now, I know if I were to pick a three based on what we saw last year, it would probably be Ronnie Bell, Cornelius Johnson, and Roman Wilson. But – Mike mm-hmm. Sainer still is, is a guy who they like and that has, has shown some things. You just talked about Dalen Baldwin, someone who I think he's someone who kind of comes in like he's going to play on the outside. Like he's got the size. He's got right. the speed. Um, at, 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 at the very least, he's someone who comes in for Cornelius Johnson. But then maybe you have those two guys on each side of the field and you're playing 500 dead or, dead or alive and you chuck it and hope they make a play. But – AJ Henning, uh, you know, for as much it was, there was a lot kind of made about Giles Jackson leaving, but to me, it's just like, okay, well, it just means it's AJ Henning time now. Two guys that I think do a lot of the same thing. And, and Giles Jackson, interestingly enough, will be in Ann Arbor in week two as he plays for Washington now. Yep. But uh, I don't know if this will be the year for guys like Christian Dixon and Andre Anthony, but I think you've got a pretty good group of six with Bell, with Johnson, with Sainer still, Baldwin, Roman Wilson, AJ Henning. Like there's no, there's no excuse not to have like at least an efficient passing game. Like if you're going to do the West coast thing where you're dinking and dunking and speed and space, and you want these guys with the ball in their hands, getting up field, mm-hmm. there's a lot to like here. I mean, there's a lot to like here, but like you said, it's, it's Gaddis putting them in the position to succeed. And we just haven't seen it a whole lot out of it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what the speed and space is quite yet, you know? Yeah. I, three. Yeah. It, well, it's not speed and space anymore. It's PSP. It's physical, oh, yeah. uh, precise. And what was the other one? What does the S stand for? Smart. I don't know. Something like that. It's probably Something. not good when you got to change your whole model like a couple years in. Well, you know, I'm not into the whole models thing anymore. Anyway, adapt, I guess. Adapt I'll say this. If, they're, if they play Western Michigan and I see – AJ Henning and Cornelius Johnson and Ronnie Bell at the end of a play, basically having tea with each other at the third standing on the 30 yard line marker. I'm probably Mm -hmm. going to hurl a desk chair through the press box window. So um, (laughs) you you just need, they need to be a little more creative there. So yeah, I, I like the group, but again, it's on paper. Like this has been the quintessential on paper offense for the last, you know, going on three years now. Like there's no excuse that in 2019 you have, Guys like Donovan Peoples-Jones and Nico Collins and Tariq Black. And we know, I'm not going to go into this old bit here, but it's been an on-paper offense for the last couple of years. And it's there's just been so much potential left on the table. And whether that be to you know, it be penalties, whether it be injuries, whether you, know, you can't pinpoint one thing, but 
it's you don't just slap a bandaid on it and fix it. It's got to start at the top and it's got to start in how you work, how you prepare, how you practice, because I think a lot of Michigan's issues have been Monday through Thursday problems as opposed to Saturday afternoon problems, if you know what I'm saying. Right. So, yeah, well, coupled with a lot of Saturday problems as well, untimely penalties and, you know, things like that. But, yeah, this is obviously a huge year for for both Harbaugh and Gaddis, you know, like this is it's got to click this year. It's never going to click, you know, and you've got a lot of talent waiting in the wing. So you got to be able to utilize it uh, here this year. But uh, obviously, offensive line is probably the biggest question mark I have. On offense, because, yeah, uh, you lose Zach Carpenter going over to Indiana, played a few games, uh, you know, for at center for the Wolverines last year. Sounds like they're um, moving uh, Andrew Vestardis over there to center. Uh, yeah, Andrew Vestardis, who played center, I think maybe two or three games last year, got injured, but didn't really play well. But apparently that had something to do with injury as well. So far, it looks like he might kind of lead at center. Uh, he's in a battle. Him and Zach Zinter are kind of the two guys at center. Like, here's the fascinating thing about their offensive line. Ryan Hayes, more or less, unless there's an injury, locked in at left tackle. Andrew Stuber, he's going to play somewhere, uh, whether it be at right tackle or right guard. Zach Zinter is going to play somewhere. And there are people, they've been pretty upfront about this. They think that Zach Zinter might be their best overall offensive player, which talking about the names that we just talked about, and then bringing up Zach Sinter as your best offensive player. Uh, I hope that means that he's doing very well and that everyone else isn't, you know, going down. But Zinter's a guy, again, there's a lot of fluidity here. Uh, Chuck Filiaga and Trevor Keegan are in a battle for a left guard job. So I think even heading into, you know, we're, I think as we record this, maybe 10 days or so away, 11 days from game day. I think right. they're, they're still kind of figuring out who that top five is as well. So, uh, Hayes is in, Stuber is in, Zinter is in, but where two of those guys are and who the other two guys are is still up for grabs. So I would say that you're probably looking like if I were setting the lineup and I'm not because I'm a dummy and I'm a blogger and I'm not a football coach, you've got Ryan Hayes, you've got Trevor Keegan, you've got Zach Zinter like playing center, you've got Stuber at guard, and then you've got someone like Carson Barnhart playing right tackle, but I think they like Stuber better a little bit at tackle. And I think that he might be a little bit better there, at least comfort wise. So, but it's really appealing to me that in a scenario where let's just say the middle of your defense is Keegan and Zinter, or I'm sorry, your offensive line is Keegan and Zinter and Andrew Stuber. Like those are all guys that stand like six, 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 seven, two thirty, two forty, 240, or I'm sorry, three thirty or three forty. So the fact that you might have the potential for that much beef up front, and we talk about being physical and precise and wanting to run the football right. because the offense is going to probably revolve around how good they are running the football, that's a scenario that's kind of appealing to me. Yeah, and that's going to be – I mean, it's going to be the key. You can't have a good offense without a good offensive line, you know. And we know this, obviously. Last year was bad up front. And it needs to be a whole heck of a lot better because uh, we can talk all we want about the wide receivers, you know, being talented. Um, Mike Hart coming back, running the running back room with some good, talented running backs, but ain't going to matter without, you know, an offensive line that's pretty solid. Yeah. And and I'll bring this comment up here too. Steve Sherrick says, so you know, it's a practice and preparation is- issue because, well, because they just overhauled two thirds of their coaching staff. 
um, and operationally changed a lot of the things they just did. So their actions, plus talking about a culture change and all that, like their actions suggest that I'm, I'm not, that's not me pulling stuff out of the air. Like that's kind of been what it, what it's been. So, um, you know, just think about the media sessions where they talk about how, you know, we have great practices and for whatever reason, it's not translating to Saturday. You've heard players say that coaches have said that. So mm-hmm. again, that goes back to operationally speaking, everything needs to be better. So, but we can't just do a show that says, yeah, uh, Michigan preview projections, Michigan needs to be better in everything. Okay. Uh, you can follow <laughs> us on Twitter at, and then just close it out. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I, w- I guess uh, Christopher Sarton would like if we did that. You know, we'll, we'll just we've got there's there's a little bit of an edge <laughs> in the YouTube comments tonight, I, but you know, keep them coming and stuff. But hey, it it is what it is. Uh, and, and Steve uh, says back, but your complaint was about Gaddis, who's still there. Yeah, because I I don't think you could afford to change offenses and you know both sides of the because if you're changing both coordinators, why is the head coach still there? Um, and I think that Gaddis. We've seen like when the Gaddis offense works, though they're attacking the edges. They're the play calling is creative. There's Gaddis can kind of get into a groove too with his play calling things like that. But um, last year was just such a such a bottoming out that mm-hmm. I think a lot of the things that happen offensively you can kind of chalk up to COVID year. Defensively, I don't think that was the case. I think that was kind of a couple years building up to that. So I don't know. All right, let's take a look at the schedule. It's uh, it's an interesting schedule here. It's kicking off with uh, Western Michigan, obviously at home, September 4th, Labor Day weekend. Uh, a Western Michigan team who a lot of people think is going to do very well in the MAC here this year. But, I mean, this is uh, – it, li- I don't want to say it's a good litmus test for Michigan, but it is a litmus test. Look, they, they're way more talented than Western Michigan at the end of the day. If this is like – if this is 2014 UConn, where you win, but it's a it's an absolute you know just sludge around and, and don't really do anything the whole game. Michigan's in for a long season, you yeah. know. But if they if they take care of business, I'm not going to say it's a sign for great things to come because they should uh, take care of business without much issue. But you can kind of say, okay, Michigan is probably at where we think they might be. You know, I, I'm not saying you know if they beat Western Michigan 56 to 10, they're going to go and beat Washington the next week. But I will say if they end up winning 21 to 17, they're probably not going to beat Washington the next week. Yeah, this is a game that's fascinating to me in that I, Western Michigan, I don't know where they're going to f- finish in the MAC, but that's a team that can score points. And if you're a defense that is still kind of learning itself and figuring it out, and again, there is in a few areas kind of they have some talent deficient things on the roster, namely in the secondary, as these dogs next door are barking and driving me nuts. I don't know if you can hear them, but I'll leave this in anyways because I'm a professional and we'll power through it. But yeah, um, so if you're an offense that's still figuring out what your identity is and a defense that's still figuring out how to run your system, I could see there being some struggles there and maybe you, you win, let's just say you win 30 to 17 or something. But I think we're both pretty we're both on board here calling that a victory. So, yeah, I do. The, the issue with that is, is look, this, the schedule doesn't do you any favors with the Washington game, you know, like they're, they're still going to, I guess, be figuring stuff out technically, but it has to be as close to not 
going into week two because you're going to have to be playing, you know, one of your best games uh, to, to beat this Washington team. I think Michigan's capable. Look, I'm much higher on Michigan than I think a lot of people are here this year. You know, um, because I think there's a lot of talent. It, it's obviously got a lot to do with what we've talked about, the coaching changes, the day-to-day stuff uh, that you have to do to be a winning football team. I think Michigan is perfectly talented to, enough to beat Washington. It's just like you said, are they going to be in full stride going into week two? That is the that is the million it's and the, it's a, and it's a night game. You don't even get the advantage of Washington coming to you at noon, right? Like right. you're playing you're playing this game. What I believe it's eight or eight thirty start on that second week. So the, like a five five thirty start for them. Yeah, it's uh it, yeah it, it's an eight o'clock start. So the game will be you know Western time. But I mean, when when your game's that late in the day, I don't think that that's I think that's kind of overstated. I think that actually might you don't get you don't get an advantage on a night game with a West Coast team coming to you. If it's if it's a noon start, I mean, well, if anything, it might be a disadvantage for Michigan because you have yeah, all day to be amped up. Hundred percent, you know, because yeah. you want you want like the the Stanford coming in over to Northwestern for that first game of the season sort of feel right. that you know at noon. That's that's the advantage you get playing over here, but you don't get that advantage uh, with the night game against Washington. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, God, this one's tough for me, but I'm I can't forget what I saw last year. So I'm going loss for Washington, um, which would be disappointing, but I, I don't. I think I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility either. So I'm going loss. How about yeah, you? I think I think they win. I think they beat Washington. Uh, you, you do get the home game. There's there's going to be that sense of something with a night game uh, with the fans back and everyone, you know, I, I don't know how the maze out's going to work. Look, I understand. It won't what, work. They've never worked. I, I understand <laughs> what a lot of the a lot of the big house, you know, fan population is made up of. It, it probably isn't going to work, but I think there's going to be a lot of energy there. I don't, I don't know. Michigan, you know, at at home in night games, they, they got some miracles in back to back years against Notre Dame. Well, actually, then 2019 against Notre Dame, that was a night game, too. I, I, maybe it's just a Notre Dame thing that I'm, I've got a little bias here for, for <laughs> Michigan playing well in night games. Maybe it's just a Notre Dame thing. I don't know. But I think there's going to be something, like I said, I think they're plenty talented uh, to hang with Washington and beat Washington. You know, uh, Chris Peterson not there anymore. So I, I do think they get that victory uh, in week two. As they move on to Northern Illinois, I mean – this isn't this shouldn't be a contest no matter what uh when do we have to yeah. talk about it i mean the one thing rocky lombardi will be in at quarterback so that's oh god that, <laughs> imagine that i will i'll just i'll have to quit this if rocky lombardi in a northern illinois uniform wins in the big house back to back years yeah um i don't think i don't think i'd be able to to come in here and just comments you know back to back to back with rocky lombardi went in another one uh then we got rutgers i i think this is going to be an interesting game here you and i are a little higher on rutgers uh if you go back and listen to our preview and projection one here obviously had a, had a heck of a time with them on the road up in uh, piscataway last year but uh how, how do you like this one playing out for homecoming uh, I think they'll win. Michigan is not going to lose to Rutgers at home. I would be mm-hmm. very surprised if they lost to Rutgers at home. Um, but maybe I shouldn't be because Rutgers took them to, what was it, three overtimes last year? Um, yeah. But I don't, I don't see, like, Rutgers is, is improved, but 
I just don't I just don't see a scenario where Michigan comes home. It's a homecoming game, three thirty kickoff. I, I don't if they lose to Rutgers, that'll be the second game this season where I hurl a desk chair out of the press box. So, <laughs> yeah, no, Rutgers is, is a win for me. I'm high on them. I think they are going to be uh, in a few years, you know, maybe next year in, in a couple of years. They're going to be a somewhat formidable foe in the East, kind of like Rutgers basketball, to be honest with you. Just kind of, you know, a, a team that has maybe some expectations and they end up being pretty good. They beat a couple of teams here and there. I don't know if they ever get back to, to where they were when they beat Louisville you know, back in, I don't know, 07, maybe something like that. But um, I do think they get the victory over Rutgers. I've got them at 4-0. You've got them at 3-1 and headed to Camp Randall. And, man, I don't know about this one. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I know they've won there before, but, man, oh, man, that uh, – I, I I don't see it. Um, I think that Wisconsin is Wisconsin. If you've listened to this series at all, Wisconsin and Minnesota would be the two teams that I think are kind of going to duke it out for the Big Ten West. Yeah, I don't know. It's I just I'm not saying they can't win there, and they need to be competitive there. But I'm gonna again, knowing what we know, I, I'm gonna call it a loss. Yep, I, I'm with you 100. percent It's they that's that's one kind of like the uh, last game of the season that they've got to prove to me, you know, that they can go into in, into Camp Randall and win because uh, the the last couple of times have not been pretty uh, for them rolling into Camp Randall. I guess 2017 was OK for a while. Uh, the defense kind of held up good there. But then uh, 2019, man, that was. That was one of the worst games I've ever watched in my life. So, yeah, I, I've got a loss to Wisconsin, especially coming off of last year. You and I uh, very much like Wisconsin. I think Graham Mertz is an absolute fantastic talent at the quarterback position. So, all right, I've got him at four and one. You've got him at three and two. And <laughs> if they're three and two after the first five, man, people are going to be fired up. But they do get to head to Lincoln to take on Nebraska. We get another meeting uh, between these two teams where, uh, you know, we know the history of Scott Frost and Michigan dating back to 97. But uh, the good news is last time Michigan played this team, it was uh, was not pretty for Scott Frost. And quite honestly, uh, Jim Harbaugh kind of owns Scott Frost here, you know. Yeah, uh, Jim Harbaugh. I mean, I mean they out hit him. They out hit him in, in 2016. UCF well, you know, football. yeah, that's you can't discount that at all, can you? Um, <laughs> this is a win. I think Nebraska is going to stink. I think that that program is probably going to bottom out. Anytime you talk about you have an off season where apparently Scott Frost is under investigation now for improper practice during the pandemic and, and all kinds of other stuff that's been going on. And plus you're talking about how the walk-on program is the backbone of your, of what you're trying to build. Uh, no, Michigan will win that game. It, it won't do much to, I, I know people will still have a sour taste in their mouth, but it will be a little bit nice to at least beat up on Scott Frost. Yeah, absolutely. They get that one easily. They absolutely dominate Scott Frost in Lincoln. Nebraska is going to have a tough year, I I believe, here this year. Then they got a nice bye week, which is going to be timely because the back half of the schedule is 0% fun. Uh, They get to kick it off with Northwestern, Big Ten West champ a year ago, though. um, You know, if you listen to our preview projection on Northwestern, we're not very high on them. I actually I, I think Michigan gets a victory over Northwestern at home here this year. 
I'm with you. Uh, we've we talked about before how Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern are kind of the masters of good year, bad year, good year, bad year. And I just think mm-hmm. they lost too much from last year's team. Um, I don't know if they have enough. I, I think this would probably be the part of the season where we start to see this defense take some steps forward. And I just don't think Northwestern has enough offensively to go into Ann Arbor and win a football game. So uh, I think we're calling that a win for both of us. And then the trip to East Lansing coming off of a disastrous 2020 game against the Spartans. Looking to bring home Paul Bunyan, Mel Tucker, second year. Interesting Michigan State team. What what do you think happens in East Lansing here this year? Let's stop and talk about this one for a little bit. Because this is a game that they cannot afford to lose, period. Uh, I don't care if they are... 7-0 7-0 going into this game. I don't care if they are 4-3. and three. I don't care if they're 0-7. You have to win this game, period. If you lose this game, like you already lost to what will probably be Mel Tucker's worst team at Michigan State, a team that was putrid last season. They're, the highlight of their entire season is somehow beating Northwestern and beating you, and it wasn't close. They beat you the score from last year's game was not as close as it indicated. I mean, Michigan State was up by 10 late in the fourth quarter. You have to win this game. And you have to win it. I don't know what else to say. You don't win this game. What are we doing here? Like, it's over. You lose this game, it's over. I don't care if you're undefeated. I don't care if you haven't won a game yet. You lose to Mel Tucker three years in a row, or two years in a row. It is over. Period. Yeah, it, it, well, it seals, no matter what, it seals Jim Harbaugh's fate. No question about yeah. it. Um, yeah, and when we talk about Jim Harbaugh and like the Ohio, like everyone in the conference has an Ohio State problem. Right. But Michigan should not have a Michigan State problem, a Penn State problem, a Wisconsin problem. These are the types of games you have to win. And you've already lost one this year in this projection. We're both saying they're losing at Wisconsin. If you lose at Michigan State, fire everyone now. Period. So uh, because I don't want to do that show in late whatever it is, late October, because this is, yeah, almost a year to the day, October 30th, I do think Michigan will win this game. Uh, I'm not – I don't think that Michigan State will be very good defensively. And I think offensively they'll be improved, but I think Michigan will be better on both sides of the ball and they'll win a close game. Yeah. I think I think they beat Michigan State. Look, I, I like what Mel Tucker's building there. I respect it, but Michigan just has much more talent. I think they're going to be fired up here this year compared to you know going on what happened last year. I I think they didn't prepare well for that Michigan State game. Uh, I think they're going to this year. I think Michigan should beat Michigan State. Michigan is uh, going to beat Michigan State and take home uh, Mister Mister Bunyan here this year. I also love. Uh, Real quick, can we talk about uh, who is Sammy Khan here? Appreciate you, Sammy. As uh, you know, I, me and Anthony picked one game different, and I'm drinking the big blue Kool-Aid, man. Some of you people are crazy. It is <laughs> wild. Uh, so going on to Indiana uh, at home, a very good Indiana team, bringing back a ton last year, and Tom Allen's got some got them guys playing some football down at Bloomington, Anthony. He does, as he's been described by several. They're calling him the Ted Lasso of college football. Um, I don't think that is the case because I think I like Tom Allen. So let me preface this by saying that. But his 
he's not quite as wholesome or wholesome. And his team is kind of dirtbaggy, right? We've seen them go after the knees of guys and, and things like that. Uh, Chase Winovich in that Indiana game a couple of years ago, the week before Ohio State. Yeah, I I want to hear what you have to say before I, I say what my prediction is. I, I told you, I think this is one of those – this is a year for Indiana that I think is kind of a letdown for them. They have a ton of expectations. They've really never had – expectations like this coming into a season you know they're at their best and they have been as kind of that that yippy dog that that's biting at the heels sort of thing and then last year last year last year they they got grown last year that dog got big and they won some big games obviously beating Penn State beating Michigan uh, playing a very good game uh, against Ohio State Indiana was very good last year I think the expectations get to them this year um i think michigan wins in a very like a 2017 sort of victory here uh similar to what we've seen in the past many years uh, against indiana but i do think that they're able to uh get a very close victory against the hoosiers this year okay um i will also predict them to win because michigan had won i think what what was it 25 or 26 in a row against these guys Yep. My questions with Indiana are, one, they're not going to sneak up on anyone now. Right. And two, is Michael Penix going to be healthy by the time these two teams play? And those are, I think, maybe my two biggest questions about them this year. But I think that being a home game for Michigan, again, I do think this year being somewhat of a return to competency at home. They hadn't won. Right. Uh, they, that was Last year was the first time they'd never won a home game during a, obviously, asterisk COVID season. We get that. But... I think they've they been get, very good at home under Jim Harbaugh, you know, yeah. with fans. I think they get I think they get the job done. I think Indiana kind of takes a little bit of a step back. I'm I'm seeing like a seven and five year for them. So uh yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with Michigan in that game. All right, let's roll into Happy Valley as my God, man, you're at Michigan State, home to Indiana, then at Penn State for a three game stretch. That is rough. That is absolutely rough. So uh this probably won't be I think I think Penn State's doing the whiteout against Auburn this year, I believe I heard. So, I so. Th- th- this won't be that. This will probably be, you know, one of those uh 3:30 start times as they roll into Happy Valley. W- what are your thoughts on this one, man? Because these are two programs that are I feel like are in the same boat. I I guess I I, I do want to talk about Penn State here. W- why? For those of you that are, you know, completely out on Michigan, and there's a lot of you in the comments right now that are just not sold on Michigan's ability to win games. But I'm sure a lot of you are, you know, thinking Penn State, you know, is going to be a bounce back year, no problem. If you're not, I apologize. I didn't mean to generalize you, but <laughs> a lot of people are like that. Everyone is like, I, I think Stuart Mandel, I saw his predictions here today, like Penn State's going to have a bounce back year. He had Michigan at three and six in the conference. What is the big difference between Penn State and Michigan coming into this year? Uh, that James Franklin has beat Ohio State before. Yes, yeah. a fluky win in 2016. I That's literally the entire narrative shift for James Franklin. Yeah, I think my question is about this game. It, it, do you have a prediction for this? 
I do. I do. I actually think Michigan loses a close one just because playing at Happy Valley is, is <laughs> you're, very you're, difficult. You're flame taking a flamethrower to Penn State. And you're like, actually, I think Michigan. No, I'm lose. just I know I'm <laughs> saying I think like I have Michigan with one loss up to this point. And I think yeah. Penn State does have a bounce back season. But I think Michigan has a bounce back season, too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, it's not I, I don't think Michigan is just going to stay down here while Penn State's like, oh, yeah, we're right back. No problem. Yeah. Uh, I'm going lost too, and it's less about Penn State and more about I don't trust this team going on the road to play anyone. Right, exactly. Especially with the questions that they have. So whiteout or not, n- night game or not, I just – until I see otherwise – and again, all of these are just – it's conjecture and projections. I get that. Someone will say that I'm being too kind with 7-3. and three. Someone will say you're not being kind enough with 8-2. and two. That's how these things go. But knowing what we do – the I can only go by the information that's made available to us. I just, I don't trust this team going on the road right now. So to me, no, it's, I, I'm with that. you a hundred percent. That's why I can't pick them going to camp Randall either. Yeah. You know, I, they can, they can beat Nebraska and Michigan state on the road. Just going on the road against top 25 teams has just not been Jim Harbaugh's thing and, and right. winning, you know, and that's a conversation of why a lot of people want them gone. And I'm here to listen to that, but we're just picking games right now. So I've got them with two losses headed into Maryland. You've got them with three, uh, but I'm not as big on this Maryland team as a lot of people seem to be. I don't think they're going to be that good. I don't trust Mike Loxley. He's got a horrendous record as a head coach. We go over that in very good detail for you in our Maryland preview projections pod. And I think uh, Michigan wins by two to three scores in this one. Yeah. Uh, they're going to beat the shit out of Maryland. That's my prediction. Um, I think Maryland is, is very extremely overrated. Uh, I, I shouldn't say they're going to blow out Maryland. That's, that's too presumptive, but they will win. They will beat Maryland. I, I don't Maryland. Just, they, it's a Mike Loxley thing right now. We've talked about, there's the Dan Enos effect. And also, there is a revenge game thing in play in terms of, you know, there's some bad blood between uh, Mike Loxley, Mike Loxley, and Josh Gaddis. Michigan kind of swooped mm-hmm. Gaddis away from them at the last second there, and I mean, Michigan has still won more football games than Maryland has, so I'm not exactly sure what the beef is. It's still a better job, but I like what Michigan has. Maybe not like uh, to his brother Talia uh, Tagovailoa. I, I, he could be a star. Rakeem Jarrett. They have some good playmakers, really, on both sides of the ball. But I just don't think they have enough. And I don't. Their head coach's record is what it is. This isn't Mel Tucker, where he's just had one bad year and you go from there. Mike Loxley is like eight and forty, something like that, right? I gotta. I have to. Yeah, I gotta pull it up real quick right now because it is horrendously bad. Mike Loxley as a head coach is eight and forty-three. Oh, so I was being kind to him. Eight and forty-three is a head coach. Yeah, um, yeah, that's how I feel about that. And, and yeah. I should say this too, uh, because well, we'll wait till the end. Keep going. We have, we have another game to do still. So all right, we got the game. Ohio State coming to the big house. Or wait, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I, I forgot. I forgot last year didn't <laughs> happen. That's right. You know, yeah. How about that? Ohio State. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Huh. Interesting. Um, what do I say about this one, Anthony? I Okay. I'll put this out there. I think Michigan, for some strange reason, maybe has 
they have a better chance to beat Ohio State this year than they would have last year. I, I don't know if that's saying a whole lot. Yeah, because this year they won't be starting traffic <laughs> Cohen's at quarterback. I mean, Mike Barrett won't be running out of running out of the Wildcat. Like that's I that, I mean that's all I can say about it. Look, I, until I see it happen, I'm not ever. No, going to not, can we just let, let's, let's just let's let's say it right now so I can put the graphic up. No, yeah. they're not going to beat Ohio State. But to me, I think the conversation becomes what is an acceptable, like, is everyone says the, oh, in order for Jim Harbaugh to keep his job, he's got to beat Ohio State. Michigan's got to find a way to beat Ohio State. But that's like saying, like, in order for, I don't know, I need a million dollars to fall out of the sky into my lap. Like, it's the chances of that happening are not very high. So, like, if Michigan played Ohio State in week three, I could potentially talk myself into it with Ohio State in the question marks on defense, CJ Stroud, you know, whatever. By November 27th, we know what Ohio State's going to be. CJ yeah. Stroud's probably going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country, whatever, you know. So until I until I physically see it happen, I will not pick Michigan to beat Ohio State. No, but let me ask you this, because it's not interesting for us to just sit here and say, oh, they're not going to beat Ohio State. What does an acceptable loss to Ohio State look like? You ha- you absolutely have to be competitive with them, right? Like what especially this though? year because they're again they're probably going to win the Big Ten. They there's a good chance they still go undefeated. Um, is competitive keeping it within I, so, two scores? Is it keeping yeah. it within a score, a field goal? Like what is it? So like t- 2019 was like competitive. We we all know that, right? Like. Was it Hassan Haskins who completely missed a wide open hole on fourth down? Yeah. Could have ran for a touchdown to cut it to a one score game. 2018 and 2019 were 2018 and 2019 were competitive. They spiraled out of control late. And it was shotgun blast to the foot on Michigan's end. And that's not to say like Ohio State, they don't make mistakes, but they will pounce on every single mistake you make. And you know, people forget that I think it was uh, maybe an eight like it was close within the last couple minutes of the third quarter of the 2018 game. And it was, I think it was maybe a 15 point game early in the fourth quarter. It was 15 points early in the fourth quarter. I believe it was Haskins. I could be wrong, but they ran that damn wildcat. Yep. Yeah. And he cuts right to the left. Yeah, exactly. It's a wide open hole. He runs for a touchdown. They cut it to a score. Like, I don't care, you know, Christopher Sarton, you can pretend it wasn't competitive, but it was, you know, um, it, I, I guess that qualifies as competitive, right? Like I'd love to no, say I mean, like, the final score, I'd love to you, say 20, 2016, the final, 2017. The final score know, is I, what it is. Like when you lose right. by several touchdowns, like somewhere along the line, you got your ass beat. You didn't play well. Enough. Right. Um, it's, it's so like, even if they lose close, it's going to be because they did something stupid and shot themselves in the foot somewhere. Like, like Kalik Hudson jumping off sides when they're about to punt from midfield and they end up scoring a touchdown on the drive. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's everyone that says like, shoes. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh has to beat Ohio state this year or else he loses his job. Like that's, that's like, you know, my my mom's saying you need to get married within the next, you know, six months. And it has to be Margot Robbie that you bring home with you. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not going to happen. I'm not self-deprecating. I'm not, you know, she's, you know, whatever. That's not here nor there, but it's, you're creating an unfair, like 
it to me it all depends on what it looks like. So that that becomes the conversation. You have them at eight and four, or I have them at eight and four. You have them at nine and three. To me, I mean, it, it all the how those two records are perceived is all in how it looks. Now, if they go nine and three and they get blown out by Ohio State, blown out by Wisconsin, blown out at Penn State, we're done here. There's nothing right. more I need to see. But if you go eight and four, and let's say you know, kind of like how the um, the NCA, like the video game simulation played out where you lose an overtime to you lose a couple overtime games and, um, you know, think you're competitive in the other losses that you have. Like you need to see that there's a path forward. If you go nine and three or even eight and four for that matter, and you get blitzed in every game that you lose, there's no path forward to me. That That's not right. progress. That's not equity in the future. So again, it, it depends a lot on how Cade McNamara plays too, right? Because you have in what most people consider an incredible talent waiting in the wings of JJ McCarthy. And if, if Harbaugh goes another quarterback that he's just not able to develop, to play the position competitively, then how can you risk, you know, that him with that talent moving forward? Yeah. And I'll say this too, like how I personally look at this season will be, um, and and we're not going to predict the bowl game because there's so much fluidity to that, who the opponent could be. I'm going to assume they would lose the bowl game because that's what they've done. And that's, you know, that's kind of reflective in what even Luke, you know, you were kind of getting picked on for how, um, for how optimistic you are. Nine and three is, it's a good year, but it's nothing to write home about eight and four. I think people would be pretty disappointed with that. Um, These, it's kind of a reflection of what they are um, and what they have been. So particularly on the road. And that's the way the schedule sets up this year, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I'm less, I won't say I'm not worried about losing to Ohio state, but when I judge how this season looks now, if they go out and they're 10 and 0 going into the Ohio or 11 and 0 going into the Ohio state game and whatever happens, they get blown out, lose whatever it is. I think I will have seen enough in those 11 weeks prior to that. Yeah. Again, it depends on what it looks like too. It could, there could be some, like if their if their defense doesn't improve because again they're losing all their linebackers. I understand they're going to be studs up front. Secondary's got big question marks, but like I could very much see a 2017 sort of game against Ohio State this year. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, again, I think I'm more going to judge this team based on what I see against the Michigan States, the Penn States, the Wisconsin's, the Washingtons right. of the world. Um, you know, when I sit here, and first of all, I think we should also say. Last I checked, Vegas is over under is at seven and a half, right? Yeah. So I got the over on that, obviously. I mean, I'm taking the over there as well. I think there's more value in that, um, at least from you know a winning perspective. But even so, yeah, that's to to keep in line with the other projections we've done. We're both taking the over on Michigan, and people will say that's optimistic. But set, you know, to to quote, uh, I'll tell you what: if they don't hit the over, there's going to be a new coach in Ann Arbor next year. Yeah, for sure. Um, and some people might be rooting for that. I'm not necessarily rooting for that. I, I'm rooting for, I'm going to give you the most vanilla journalist, blogger, media take there is. I'm rooting for the best outcome for all parties involved. That's wrong. I just hope everyone has fun. Um, I'm going to have fun with football season being back. But it's, yeah. um, like I said, it's so difficult to project what is acceptable right now because I need to see how it starts first. Now it it could be a sliding scale too. You come out and you blow out Washington and you kind of run through that first half of your schedule. Now we're going, okay, maybe the expectation becomes you better be competitive or beat Ohio state. 
right? It, mm-hmm. it depends on what that looks like. But when I look through, I mean, there are, I, I teared out the games a couple weeks ago. There are six games that Michigan should slash probably will win. So mm-hmm. to people that think, oh, they're going five and seven or four and eight or three and nine, like that's not, that's where I think you can kind of take last year and throw it out the window. This is going to be a return to quote unquote normalcy in that they will be close, but no cigar. And it'll probably be a similar type of December as the last few have been in terms of what are they going to do? What's the path forward? I will say, like I said, if they go eight and four again, I'm not predicting that Jim Harbaugh is going to lose his job, but I mean, I thought he should have lost his job last year. And to me, eight and four isn't really something where I go, wow, you know what? It sure looks like things are getting turned around here. So, yeah, no, eight and eight and four would not be not be great. You have to remember, again, I keep saying this, the guys who have been here for three years, you know, that what was that? The 2019 class. Is that what that would be? 2018 class, 2018 class, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That that was the number one class in the Big Ten. Number one class in the Big Ten. Like, I mean, there's talent here, man. Eight and four is not good. No. Um, and I'll say this too, and someone brought this up in the comments. Let me make sure I can properly shot them out. It's from Mathematics. He says, my take on Harbaugh at the moment is comparing him to Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. Put up some decent seasons before going 4-8 and eight in 2016. Now ND is a contender. I still think there is potential. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of that because um, that's kind of the outlier. A lot of guys that have those 4-8 and eight type of seasons, they don't typically – rebound to be national championship type of teams. But I will say that there is a chance with the changes that he made. I mean, I think that Mike, I I like the changes they made defensively. I like streamlining your offensive approach a bit and and bringing in a guy like Mike Hart and who, again, if Josh Gaddis flames out, but uh, Mike Hart is maybe your next offensive coordinator. I I don't know. Uh, Sharon Moore has a little bit of a bigger role. He's on the offensive line now which is a position he played. So I feel like he should coach it pretty well. There, there's potential that, yeah, they could get this turnaround. I will say like the best case scenario, this is probably a team that, like you said, goes nine and three, 10 and two and wins a bowl game. That could happen. I think they're, that's not out of the question. I, I think the only thing to me that's kind of off the table is that they're not going to bottom out. It's not going to be a four and eight, five and seven type of year. And they're not going to go 11 and one or win the big 10. But I think anywhere from, you know, seven wins to seven to 10 wins, I think is kind of the range of outcomes here. Um, the, the one thing I'll say about the Notre Dame comparison, I like, I don't think it, that's a crazy comparison at all, but I also like, I know this sounds crazy, but I think the programs are kind of on the same level. I think if Michigan is an independent cherry picking games against bad ACC teams, I think they could have put an undefeated schedule together at some <laughs> point, you know, um, you know, they kind of got lucky last year, not having to play Trevor Lawrence uh, against Clemson and, uh, you know, they, they, they have made the playoffs, but Notre Dame in the big 10 East probably never makes the playoffs. So I, I think Notre Dame right now is obviously playing a little bit better than Michigan, but I don't think there's a huge gap between the two programs, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, Notre Dame is in a lot more stable a situation. So correct. But again, I, an, I envious, think- an envious situation from where we stand right now. Yeah, and as we kind of get into final thoughts here, like I don't think, like I think that Jim Harbaugh is a smart guy and can be a competent head coach. I don't think he's a hack, like people seem. Like, th- I can't. You can't throw out last year because right. that was the culmination of a lot. As much of as I want to, 
I would love to erase that from my memory, but that was the culmination of a lot of paper cuts, a lot of things that maybe went unaddressed. Um, I, I'm going to, I can't give him the benefit of the doubt that it's going to work out, but I also think he's been, if nothing else, pretty competent for the most part, question mark, uh, since, since he arrived. And, um, you know, I, I can see there is a scenario where he, he has his second wind and, after seven years, after eight years, it finally clicks. But I know that's frustrating. And I know we get tired of the wait till next year stuff. But I think the best case scenario for this season is is kind of a 2015 2.0 where you lose a couple tough games in there, but you've got young guys playing. You've got a lot of this team coming back uh, for next year. You've got whoever wins. I mean, Cade McNamara, if he plays well, he'll be your starting quarterback next year. And if he doesn't, J.J. McCarthy will be your quarterback next year. So whatever happens um you know I, I think i just think 8 and 4 9 and 3 is kind of the most realistic outcome and hopefully what happens to get them there are things that give you hope for next season or else if not ward man i don't think ward manuel is a stupid guy either i think the the contract that he signed harbaugh to was pretty forward thinking and you don't see a lot yeah. of that and you also don't see a lot of coaches that would agree to that so I think there is a transparency from all sides that, you know, Jim Harbaugh said it himself, like we're going to beat Ohio state, Michigan state, or we're going to die trying. So you either win those games or you'll be fired period. hundred percent, man. You can tell it's football season though, man. I got dark. I'm fired up the next. I know. I love it. I love it. I know. 50 here fun. on a Monday and, and here we go, man. Days are getting a little bit shorter. Air's going to be getting a little bit cooler. We're going to be kicking it off. We got game week. Next week, very fun episode. Appreciate you all hanging out here on uh, YouTube Live and uh, Twitch as well. Uh, appreciate the comments. Always keeping us rolling. Uh, I, I do love it. I've been laughing at a lot of them. Uh, very, very much appreciate you guys hanging out here and love getting your opinions, whether or not uh, we agree with them or not. Anthony, where can we find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Anthony T. Broom. Again, all the social stuff for Maze and Brew is, is in the description below. We're, we're on every social media platform. We're wherever you get your podcasts. I will say this, uh, podcast schedule is going to change a bit. You're going to start getting more of them. So I don't know if you're excited about that or not. Uh, combinations and hosts and things we do are kind of going to change a little bit too. So hopefully have more to share on that soon. But yeah, this is fun. Uh, live podcasts are back on Monday nights. We're going to keep the 7.30 time slot. Um, probably do more of these things on here or whether it be a Twitter spaces, a Spotify green room. So there's a lot of cool stuff that I will have finalized by the end of the week for interactive opportunities and ways to get involved with our audio content. Mm -hmm. So appreciate your guys' support as always. It's been a long summer. It was so, despite you know the ups and downs of what this show and some of the opinions throughout were I, I was so excited to be back doing this and like i said next time we talk it's a game week so that's where we're at it's almost here it's almost here we just gotta keep trucking along i'm excited to, to be previewing western michigan uh here next week did did you do your uh socials at all anthony let them know where we could find the podcast everything like that oh it's all in the description below wherever you get your show Perfect. so you know if you're here you and make sure to follow anthony on twitter too <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, yes, that's always appreciated as well. Follow Luke as well at Luke Giardi. So he's the glue that keeps me together here. So, yep. And make sure to, uh, follow Maze of Brew Brewcast. We'll, we'll have some news for you, I'd imagine, uh, coming up here very soon. Fun also, way to kick off the, 
What's I also that? like one final thought. I also like as we're closing this out an hour and 19 minutes in, you finally turned your light on in the background. I, it was getting dark, man. We were good for a while. I had the sun coming in. That's what I said. Days are getting a little bit shorter. It's it's yeah. definitely almost uh, football season. Yeah, it's been a fun almost hour and a half. Appreciate you all hanging out here. And one, one final Bruce. shout out to guys like uh, Logan Evans and our other subscribers. Sorry, uh, our other subscribers here on the Mazer Brew YouTube channel for more information on that. Um, just click that join button below and it'll it'll explain all that stuff too. So thank you for watching. Yeah, please subscribe. We do a lot of great stuff. Steven Asatowski does a fantastic job with the YouTube channel uh, as well. So make sure you don't miss any of that. For Anthony Broom, I'm Luke Yardy. We'll see you next week on Brewcast.